If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Psalms chapter 22, Psalm 22. We are in a series focusing on living an authentic life. And before I get into my message, uh, right about this time, about 33 new lifers are uh, mostly students, are on their way to Puerto Rico to do some missions work. And so we want to be, we want to be praying for them. Um, in addition to our, 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 some of our youth leadership and students there, uh, George Cuff, our building managers there, they're going to be uh, repairing, as Matt said last week, uh, roofs of three homes. And uh, our board chair, uh, elder board chair, Tom Daniels, there as well with his wife, who's a doctor. So just some really wonderful things happening. They're going to have uh, evening services over the course of the week. And so we want to be praying that God does a, a mighty work through them and um, th- over the course of this week. Uh, in addition to that, just note that this, sun, uh, this Wednesday at 7 p.m., I'm going to be teaching a class on prayer, and it's going to be August 1st and the 18th. Your bulletin might say the 8th. There's, there's no class on the 18th. It'll be August 1st and the 15th, and maybe you're stuck in prayer. Uh, I, I meet many people who don't even know where to begin in prayer. They're just like, how do you pray? What do you do? What do you say? And so I want to I give you some really practical uh, tools and, and hope, hopefully model some things so that you can grow in your life with God. You cannot grow in your life with God if you don't have a life with God in prayer. It is impossible to grow. And so 7 o'clock we'll be meeting here, and then on the 15th we'll do that again. And then lastly, before I get into my message, at, uh, downstairs in the, in the bookstore area there, uh, a lot of the content from this series on living an authentic life flows out of the Emotionally Healthy woman book and if you've never read the book I want to encourage you to pick it up uh, if you're a man you go I can't pick that up uh, pick it up right and and don't be ashamed on the train reading the book either right you, you need it this is more of a prequel to the emotionally healthy church and spirituality and leader and so uh, uh, books there and so uh, if you want to really get a sense as to what we're talking about and what we're getting at here at our church uh, pick that up at the end of this service here but I want to welcome those watching online, watching on Facebook and, and all that there. Glad to have you. But we're going to be in Psalm 22, talking about living an authentic life and how we are to quit denying the, the, the sadness, the anger, and the fear that we all experience in life. And so we'll be in Psalm uh, 22, beginning in verse number one. Hear the word of the Lord. David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint, and my heart has turned to wax. Let's offer our time to the living God today, inviting the Holy Spirit to to speak to us very profoundly this day. Lord Jesus, Lord, we offer our time to you, asking that the Holy Spirit would bring these words alive in us, and Lord, that we would walk in the way of Jesus 
experiencing our full humanity and offering our full humanity to you. And so we offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Over the course of our church's history, we've come back to the important truth that speaks to our life with God. On a regular basis, we confess that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. That is, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Another way of saying it is that you can have all the Bible knowledge in the world, but if you don't know how to deal with feedback, when someone gives a word of feedback, a word of critique, and you get super triggered by that, even though you have all the Bible knowledge in your mind, it's an indication not of your spiritual maturity, but of your spiritual immaturity. That you can come to church every Sunday, you can come to two services on a Sunday, you can do a whole lot of missions work, volunteer, do all that stuff, but if you don't know how to integrate your anger, your sadness, and your fear into your spirit, life, it's an indication not of your spiritual maturity, but of your spiritual immaturity. And so what I want to say from the very beginning of this message is that it is unbiblical to deny the anger, the sadness, and the fear that we all experience. It is unbiblical to deny it. The sadness, the anger, and the fear that we all experience in life. And for many reasons that I'll be exploring today, many of us have lived our lives covering up what's really happening on the inside. And whether it's because of fear of rejection or because we have an unbalanced theology, we have grown comfortable wearing masks. Many of us don't even know from time to time that we're wearing masks. We, we put forth something that we're not. And in the process, we're often dying on the inside. And so whether it's the fear of rejection, whether it's the fear of not being seen in the way that we want to be seen, we put on masks. And yet Jesus invites us to live according to our true self. Our true self is hidden with Christ in God. That's what the book of Colossians says. But to live our true self means that we have to remove pretense. To, to live according to our true self, our authentic life, means that we have to put off lying. That we have to put off falsehood. In short, Jesus invites us and commands us to take off our masks. Now, interestingly enough, the word uh, that Jesus uses in the New Testament to address people who don't live authentic, full lives is the word hypocrites. And when we think of the word hypocrite, it's, it's very offensive to be called a hypocrite. In our day, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing but does another. In our eyes, a hypocrite is someone who can't be trusted. And what we have often done is reduced hypocrisy to duplicity. But for Jesus, that of course is included in that. But when Jesus talks about being a hypocrite and when he would tell the religious leaders that they were hypocrite, the, 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 the literal word for the word hypocrite that Jesus uses is the word stage actor. A stage, someone who pretends to be something he is not. Someone who pretends to be something she is not. And so for Jesus, hypocrisy is not just about a duplicity, about doing one thing and saying another, but it's, it's about a person who reduces himself or herself to being an actor on a stage, playing a role, because this person does not really understand the love of God. And one of the ways that we play the role one of the ways that we stage act is in the way we deny sadness, anger, 
and fear. Our inability to allow ourselves to be fully human causes us to wear masks. And when we wear a mask, we're not being our authentic self. And so being fully human means that we have to embrace the, the often difficult and dark sides of our lives. And yet, instead of doing that, because this is really hard work, instead of integrating the difficult and dark sides of our lives, we've done what uh, many psychologists have called splitting. We're splitting ourselves. This idea of splitting refers to the unconscious failure to integrate aspects of ourselves. And whether it's the dark sides of ourselves, the difficult sides of ourselves, we have a hard time integrating them. And so we split ourselves from them. We separate ourselves from the difficult parts of life. We separate ourselves from our inner contradictions. We separate ourselves from the dark emotions that we are experiencing. And so what it it means to live the full human experience means that we have to learn how to integrate as opposed to compartmentalize and split. And so where do you go to get the full picture of someone who is experiencing their full humanity? Where do you go to look at someone who understands the full human experience? We look no further than the Psalms. We look no further than David. In Psalm 22, we get the, the picture of someone who lives an integrated life. Someone who lives the full human experience. And we need David's model to live a life that's authentic. The book of Psalms is the prayer book for the people of God. And if anyone wants to grow in their life with God, we need the Psalms. I'm convinced that we need to read the Psalms on a regular basis, on a daily basis, to pray the Psalms, to move into living an authentic life. It was Eugene Peterson who said it this way. He said that if we wish to develop in the life of faith, to mature in our humanity... And to glorify God with our entire heart, mind, soul, and strength, the Psalms are necessary. We cannot bypass the Psalms. They are God's gift to train us in prayer that is comprehensive and honest. We need the Psalms because more than anything, they remind us that God gives us permission to be human. God doesn't censor David. God could have edited some of the stuff out of the Bible that David says. And yet God lets David be fully human. Now, it's important to say that just because David said it doesn't mean God signs off on it. Just because the Bible records it doesn't mean God recommends it. Because there are plenty of places in the Psalms where David says some pretty crazy things. And so when we read the Psalms, a very simple question to ask ourselves is this. Do these words, are they consistent with the person and character of Jesus? Because the one who we look to is Jesus. And so if David is saying stuff like, kill my enemy's children, (laughs) which is all over the book of Psalms, we might just say, you know what, David, you were having a bad day that day. And that doesn't mean that God recommends that kind of behavior. However, what God gives us permission to do through the Psalms is the permission to be human. And in particular in the Psalms, what you see is the openness that David has to confess his sadness, his anger, and his fear. And these three realities of life 
are realities that people often have a hard time coming to terms with. And so I want to spend our time unpacking these three emotions, unpacking these three realities of sadness, of anger, and fear. And in doing this, we need to keep in mind a couple of things, that we have been shaped by our families on how to see sadness and anger and fear. And we've been shaped often by unbalanced, underdeveloped theology that gives us perspectives on how we are to see sadness anger, and fear. And yet, here's the big picture. Unless we honestly admit to ourselves and submit these realities of sadness, anger, and fear to God, we will not live an authentic life. And so first, I want to address sadness. In Psalm 22, David, he, he starts off these words with, with words of grief, with words of sadness. And David does not Ignore it. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Have you ever felt that way before? Where are you, God? Why have you deserted me? Why have you forgotten about me? Many of us have felt this, but we have a hard time confessing it. And one of the most difficult things to confess, especially in church settings, is sadness. Now, this is something that I personally have a hard time confessing for a number of reasons. First of all, my personality doesn't gravitate to much sadness and sorrow. I happen to be have a very optimistic look on life. My wife calls that denial, but I I tend to have an optimistic look on life. I tend to see the positive side of things. I tend to see the cup as half full all the time. And so to be sad comes is difficult for me. What complicates it is I come from a Puerto Rican family and a Puerto Rican culture that often does not know how to integrate sadness. As I say from time to time, we don't do sadness, we do salsa. That's what we do. And so if you're feeling grief, just turn on some music. Let's dance the night away. But beyond my personality and beyond my family and beyond my culture, we have been taught and I have been taught that to express sadness or to express sorrow of any kind means that we have immature faith. And many churches to carry sadness, to carry grief, to carry depression is frowned upon. But over the years at this church at New Life, we have recognized that in order to be human, And to live in the way of Jesus, we need to embrace the totality of ourselves, the totality of our lives, the full spectrum of human existence, which means to embrace our sadness and sorrow. And yet sadness is seen as a great weakness. And moreover, sadness is often seen as the work of the evil one, as opposed to the normal reality of being human. Last week I had my physical, my annual physical, and I got some, my test done, the blood work done and all that there. And the person who was doing the work before the doctor came in um, was, was a nurse and she's asking the questions and she asked me, do you have stress in your life? And I said, no, there's certainly certain, lots of stress, but, but I'm doing okay. She said, your blood pressure came out good. What, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. And she got Christian real quick. Praise the Lord. She, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I just love when that happens, you know, all of a sudden, 
Uh, you know, and, and so she started asking her questions. She had her clipboard and she's asking questions, asking questions. And then she got to the point where, are you depressed? And I said, I said, no. And she said, her response was good because that's not of God. That's not of God. And, and, and I heard that and I smiled. And I get her point in saying that's, that's not of God and all that. But this is the way that people have been, have been shaped. That to identify or to confess any amount of sadness or any amount of depression means that, that something is wrong. And it actually, actually becomes, uh, in a way, uh, a judgment on our face, on our faith. So much so that we are ashamed to confess that we are sad. In some families that you grew up in, you had no permission to be sad. And then culturally, we have messages that we tell children that a little five-year-old, six-year-old falls off his bike and skins his knee. And they say, ah, oh, big boys, don't cry. Just stand up and get back on the bike. We have messages that we have received over and over again about how we are to see our sadness. And so what happens is this. We come into adulthood with all of these messages. And then you lose a job or a relationship. You lose your health. You lose your hair. <laughs> and that because you have all these messages about sadness that you can't be sad, you hold all this stuff inside of you. Because you, don't give, you haven't given yourself permission to be human. As an immigrant, you, you've left what's familiar to come into unfamiliar territory, having to learn a new language, having to meet new people, having to start all over. There's so much loss that you have experienced. Certainly you should be sad. Certainly you should grieve. But because we haven't given ourselves permission to be sad, we judge ourselves. We say, what's my problem? Why can't I get over this? I should have more faith. And many of us are taught that, that sadness is spiritual weakness. And so consequently, when we view sadness in this way, we're left with two options. To either unashamedly see it as a way of being human, which positions us to connect with God, or we, or we put on a mask or we put on an emoji. And we're always just happy. You lost your job, but you come to church looking like this. How's it going? Blessed. I'm doing great. Your cat died, but you came to church like this. How's it going? Fantastic. You lose your job, a relationship is over. I'm blessed and highly favored in the name of Jesus. We know how to put on masks. We know how to put on emojis. But, but sooner or later, what begins to happen is we lie our way through life. Because we have not given ourselves permission to be human. Now, interestingly uh, enough, I was reading a theologian by the name of Ben Myers, and he wrote a piece some years ago on smiling and sadness, and he references an interesting book uh, called A Brief History of the Smile, A Brief History of the Smile that I've been uh, looking at. And uh, as he writes on this and gives comments to this book here, he connects the smile to Christian spirituality, particularly evangelical Christian spirituality. And this is what he says, and I, th I thought it was pretty insightful. He says that the cultural triumph of the smile leaves behind the trail of casualties. Where evangelical churches theologize happiness and ritualize the smile, sad believers are spiritually ostracized. 
Sadness is the scarlet letter of the contemporary church, embroidered proof of a person's spiritual failure. The sinless humanity of the Son of God was manifest not in happiness or success, but in a life of sadness and affliction. Jesus is known as a man of sorrows. In erasing sadness from our culture, we also erase Christ. And so even in our church settings, we've had a hard time integrating the full range of human emotion, particularly the difficult emotions, not the negative, we don't say negative emotions, the difficult emotions such as sadness. And so what do we do with our sadness? Instead of ignoring it or suppressing it, we minimally need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. We need to ask ourselves, what is the issue beneath my sadness? Which is why we need a life with God in prayer, where we can process this. What often happens is people run to addictions. People run to all kind of crazy behavior. But if we would just take the time to say, what is truly the issue beneath my sadness? And then what is God saying to me in my sadness? And it is out of this space here of, of wrestling with this with authenticity that we are to pray our sadness to God. It was Ron Roheiser who said that prayer essentially means lifting mind and heart to God. What's a good definition of prayer? Lifting mind and heart to God. Whatever's in here, we lift it up to God. If you're angry, pray your anger. If you're sad, pray your sadness. If you're fearful, pray your fear. If you're feeling lust, pray your lust. What we do as Christians is we wait till we don't feel lust. We wait till we don't feel fear. We wait till we don't feel angry. We wait till we don't feel sad to pray. No wonder we don't pray. (laughs) Because at some point of the day and the week, you're going to feel all those emotions. And God already knows about it. And so to pray, to live an authentic life means we pray all of these things. David teaches us that it's okay to be sad. The second thing David teaches us as well is anger and integrating anger in our lives with God. Again, in Psalm 22, we have the full humanity of David on display. Now, what's missing and Virtually impossible to know is the tone with which David writes. In Psalm 22, verse 1, he could have said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In words of sadness and grief. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It could be words of sadness of grief. Or it could be words of anger and rage. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't know what the context is. We don't know the tone of it. But it gives us enough space, especially when you look at the rest of the Psalms, to know that David integrated not just sadness, but anger in his life. Now, again, when we're talking about difficult emotions and realities like anger, we need to pay attention to at least two things. How did your family do anger? As well as the imbalanced theology that we have received. Some of you, you grew up in a home in which anger was not allowed. That for whatever reason, for you to show anger about anything was not approved. And so some of you, when you were younger, you, you maybe had a bad day at school. You had been teased. You'd been hurt, made fun of. And so you walk into the house, you storm into the room, and you slam the door. And instead of getting a, knock, a, a gentle knock on the door, hey, babe, I, I noticed you slammed the door. Tell me what's all that about. You didn't get any of that. What you got was, hey, 
do you think you are slamming the door like that? Open the door and close it again. There was no, hey, hey, tell me, uh, you're, you're angry. You almost broke the door. What happened? Tell me about what's going on. It was open the door and close it gently. No permission to be angry. Or you're angry about a disappointment that came your way. And you don't want to be bothered. And so you're a little touchy and angry with your parent. And they, they, they're, they're, they're triggered by it. They see your anger, they're triggered by your anger, and their response is not, hey, tell me more, what's going on? They they go, you want to be angry? I'll give you something to be angry about. (laughs) That's like the classic parenting line. All parents get that in a handbook. You want to be angry? I'll give you something to be angry about. For some of us, anger, we've only seen anger directed at us as a manifestation of irritation or impatience. And so if you spill the juice, you only hear it in an angry tone. Why are you spilling the juice all the time? And so what happens is we come into adulthood. Many of us become Christians. And then we hear Bible verses as well that we think leads us to suppressing our anger. And so we hear Paul, the apostle Paul says words like this. in, In the book of Ephesians, he says, get rid of all anger. And so we go, that's that's a good verse. We got to get rid of all anger. Paul also says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And and so we we, we hear these verses and we go, I cannot be angry. And yet right before that, the apostle Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. Paul tells us right here, be angry, but don't sin. But because of the imbalanced theology that we often have, we conclude that any kind of anger that we even feel is sin. Now, let's be clear. Most of the anger, I would say, that we experience is sin. Our anger most of the time is not righteous anger. Our anger often has to do with our insecurities, our failures, our shame, our pride. But these verses aren't saying, don't feel your anger. They're saying, don't be controlled by your anger. Because anger can be a redemptive gift or a destructive power. And when you don't give yourself to exp- the, 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 the space to experience the, the difficult emotions of sadness and anger, we end up lying a lot. Now, for some of you in this room, you have no problem being angry. And God's word to you, for those of you who, who experience anger very viscerally, is that you need to pay attention to your sadness. Because what's often beneath our anger is sadness. And so, and so what, what do we need to do? We need to ask ourselves again the question, contemplatively, prayerfully, when you're experiencing anger, resentment, all, what is beneath the anger I'm experiencing? What might God be saying to me in my anger? And then how do I pray my anger to God? Now, it's important to note that to... Work through these difficult realities and emotions. It's not just for us. When we're doing this, it's positioning us to love better than we do. To enter into the reality of someone else and compassionately be with them. When someone is angry and someone is sad, if you have not experienced your own anger and been in touch with your own sadness, you'll find it very difficult to enter into their anger and to enter into their 
sadness. I think about uh, this in my marriage a lot. Some 10 years ago, when I came on staff at New Life, I was interviewing for the, pro- for the job, and, uh, and they had me go through, ha- have a psych assessment, psychological assessment. We, we, we give all psychological testing to our pastors. It's a very important thing to do. And so throughout the assessment, the, the doctor came back with uh, an assessment, and my assessment was that one of the areas that I had to grow significantly in was empathy. I'm a pastor. How ironic is this? Empathy. I have to grow in empathy. And so over the course of being married now for 12 years, I've had to learn how to grow in empathy. Rosie and I, we just hit uh, hit 12 years this January, and I recall when we were going through our premarital course, uh, we were with a bunch of other engaged couples, and the person who was leading the class looked at us, and I'll never forget it, and and he said, "Uh, it's going to take you all about 10 years to learn how to be married, just to get started. I thought, this is awful. This is terrible. And I kind of recall maybe in my mind just, you know, babe, we'll do it in two. You know, just a little, 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 we'll do it in two. And we're in year 12. And I feel like I'm just starting to get what it means to be married. Now, this is, marriage is difficult. And the difficult times emerge when there's conflict. And so when, whenever conflict emerges in my relationship with Rosie, you know, once every three years or so, whenever conflict emerges, um, I go into four modes of being. Whenever Rosie particularly is experiencing maybe anger or sadness, I go into four modes of being. And these four never worked. The first mode I go into is the computer mode. The computer mode is she's experiencing anger or sadness. And and I say, babe, listen, you can do this, you can do this, or you can do this. I got some options for you. What do you want to do? Doesn't work. The second mode I go into is minimizing mode. Is it that bad, honey? Is it, have you seen it from this? Is it that bad? This doesn't work either. The third mode I go into is superimposing mode. If I were you, I would do this. I would feel this way. This, this doesn't work either. The fourth mode is get out of their mode. I just got to leave. I just got to go. Just, 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 I'll, be, I'll be back. I'll be back. Or four of these don't work. And so I go see a therapist. And having seasonal therapy is part of my spiritual formation, is part of my life of growing in self-awareness, to be a better uh, father, to be a better husband, to be a better pastor, to be a better preacher. I see a therapist with, on a regular basis. And so I see this therapist, and I'm having a hard time because whenever Rosie's experiencing anger or some f- sort of sadness, I just don't know what to do. And so I go to the, th- I'm just so stuck, I don't know what to do. And he said, Rich, it's actually very simple. I want you to do one thing. The next time your wife is angry. I want you to do one thing the next time your wife is sad. He says, the next time your wife is sad, I want you to be sad with her. I said, what else you got? What else you got? The the, the next time she is angry, I want you to be angry with her. He said, this doesn't work if she's angry with you. I just want to let you know that. So... (laughs) But the next time she's sad or angry, 
be sad with her, be, which means I have to learn how to feel my own sadness and my own anger to enter into that space. And so a couple of weeks later or so, uh, Rosie's experiencing some kind of anger, about some more irritation about something that happened, some frustration. And, and I think this is my time to shine. This is, this is, this is it. This is the moment. Now, I usually go into four modes of being. I go into the computer mode. I say, I can't do the computer mode. That's not, that's not going to be right. I go into the minimizing mode. I can't do the minimizing mode. I go into the superimposing mode. I can't do the superimposing mode. I go into the get out of there mode. I can't do the get out of there mode. I, he said I, to be angry with her. And it wasn't even a major issue she was angry about, but I thought this is my moment in kind of mid-sentence in a disproportionate way that didn't fit the, situ- the situation. I just interrupt and go, she said What? Dare she talk to you like that? <laughs> and Rosie goes, baby, take it easy. It's all right. No, no, it's all right. Have a sip of water. I don't want any water. Think she is. I'm from Brooklyn. Let's drive over right now. We'll do, we're going to fix this right now. And do you know what my wife felt at that moment? And I don't do it all the time, but do you know what she felt at that moment? Loved. <laughs> love, love, love. Finally, this man is not trying to fix me and minimize and superimpose or just walk out. He is feeling what I feel. And how can we be the body of Christ? And have the kind of flourishing, healthy relationships if we don't feel what other people feel. How can we move the conversation forward when it comes to racial hostility and racial injustice and such when we can't be angry with someone who's angry or sad with someone who is sad? But it means that we have to be present to our sadness and be present to our anger. And so here David is. Offering to the Lord his sadness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And offering him his anger, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then David also communicates, very importantly, his fear as well. And so to live the, the full human experience means that we integrate the difficult realities and emotions of human existence, our sadness, our anger, our fear. In verse 14, look what David says. He starts going into his fears. Lord, do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. And all of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. David is afraid. And he doesn't deny his fear. He doesn't suppress his anxiety. He offers it to the Lord. Now listen, life can be scary. Life is filled with anxiety. And the reality is we we have to face it as difficult as it is. The last couple of weeks, our daughter, Kara, she's nine years old. We've been putting her in swim classes. And she's been learning how to swim. And, and, and one of the things about swimming is at some point, you have to put your head under the water. And she said, I ain't doing it. I'm not putting my head under the water. I said, well, if you want to swim, babe, if you want to do this, you got to learn. You got to put your head. She said, ah. And, and, she'll, and she'll, she'll go down this much here and come back up. 
down and I said, got to go a little. And so we put her in a class and the first class, she was not putting her head in. The second class, she didn't put her head in. And so I go to the teacher. I said, listen, we got to get her to get familiar putting her head under the water. And she said, I'll work with her. We'll do it slow. And I'm recording all this from the partition that she can't see me. And I'm recording this video here. And finally, she gets to the point where she goes all the way down and comes back up. And she's all disoriented by it. And, and, and I said, great job. I, and we, I pick her up. Oh, you were so brave. I'm so proud of you. We got in the car. And the first thing she said is, Dad, I wish I had a time machine. I said, oh, which, which year do you want to live? It's not that, that kind of time machine. I just want to fast forward to scary parts of life. <laughs> and as I'm driving, I said, oh, me too. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> that sounds like a fantastic idea. And we had a conversation about fear. That the reality is we all experience fear. And we have to, uh, as, as Rosie would teach Karis, we have to do it scared. That courage means doing it scared. Doing it afraid, whatever it is. And yet, this is difficult for us and a difficult emotion for us to embrace, especially in the church, because we've heard many messages about fear. And some of our families to be afraid meant that you were going to be called names. Many of us have received teaching that says if we experience any fear and feel that fear and confess that fear, we lack faith. I spoke to an elderly woman last week who's who's experiencing the first stages of cancer. And had a conversation with her. We were talking about fear. And she talked about how difficult it was for her to confess her anxiety, for her to confess her fear. And her rationale, she said it this way. She she said, I I was taught that fear meant that God would see, for me to confess fear meant that God would see me as lacking faith. And then she went to a Bible verse. She said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so if I have fear, I don't have faith. And God is not pleased with me. This was well thought out. This is theology that is well thought is wrong, but it's well thought out in her mind. And many of us have received this kind of theology. That says, even if we confess our fear, confess our anxiety, somehow God is not going to respond to our prayer. Because God's not going to see that as a prayer of faith. And yet when God, and and what complicates it even more is that all throughout the Bible, God says, do not fear. There's probably one Bible verse of fear for every day of the year. That rhymed too, that was pretty nice. Uh, And yet, when God says don't fear, he's not saying don't feel it. He's saying, don't be stuck in it. Don't be paralyzed by it. Don't stay where you're at. Because the reality is we will always feel some kind of fear. The question then is, again, Lord, what is beneath my fear? If we would take the time contemplatively and prayerfully to offer our anxiety to God, how much revelation would God give you? Some of you, you, you get an email from someone, I get an email from someone, and you just see the name, and you're filled with anxiety. Lord, what is that about? What is this fear about? What is beneath my fear? Lord, what are you saying to me in my fear? And then, Lord, how do I pray my fear? And until we begin to pray our sadness and pray our anger and pray our fear, we're not going to live full human, authentic lives We're going to live our lives with masks on. Now, with all that we've learned from David in Psalm 22, 
When you look at Jesus, we see Jesus as the full personification of what it means to be human. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes and teaches us over and over how to be human. Jesus comes certainly to forgive us of our sins, certainly to offer us everlasting life. He comes to do all of that. But God comes in the flesh for a reason, to teach us how to be human. And the truth is, many of us, we put aside our humanity to get some kind of supernatural existence before God. But you cannot live a supernatural existence without embracing your full humanity. This is what Jesus teaches us. And yet Jesus embraces his sadness. He's known as a man of sorrows. He embraces his, his anger. He, he demonstrates righteous anger. Jesus experiences fear. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. And he goes, Father, is there, if there is any way to let this cup pass... Let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus experiences sadness and anger and fear, and yet he integrates it all in his life. And the reason Jesus can integrate all this in his life is very simple. He knew he was loved by the Father. And when you are loved by the Father for who you are, for the bright sides and the dark sides, for the good sides and the bad sides, there's no need to wear a mask any longer. As a matter of fact, God's love begins to melt the mask off of us. I like how a woman named by the name of Flora Wilner says it. She says, our masks are not to be ripped off. Rather, the fear beneath them is healed until the mask falls off naturally like a scab off healed flesh. To say, stop denying anger. It, this is not about ripping the mask off. You doing more willpower. You trying harder. No, no. This is about receiving the love that only God can give, which melts away the masks that we've put up. Because when you know you're loved by God, there's no need for pretense. When you know you're fully accepted by God, there's no need to lie to yourself or to other people. When you experience the love of God, it leads you into living a fully human existence. And so we look at David, we look at Jesus, we are invited to see what it means to be fully human, offering every aspect of our lives to God. I want to have the worship team come forward, and I want to, I want to end with a very simple exercise that we do at New Life from time to time. It's called Exploring the Iceberg. And for those of you who are very new to this, for those of you watching online and you're new to this, this is a very simple skill that I often use in my time of prayer. It's a skill that's used in, in small groups, in one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. It's a way of accessing what's happening in our souls, in our hearts, and giving us the space to offer it to God. And there are four very simple questions. And throughout the course of this week, I want you to pay attention to these four simple questions. It's amazing how simple they are. A four-year-old, a five-year-old can get this. And at the same time, a 40-year-old and 50-year-old can miss this. And so the don't, be, uh, don't let the simplicity of it be a stumbling block to you. There are four simple questions. And as I ask you this question, I just want to invite you to close your eyes and, and, and offer a, a short prayer before the Lord as the Holy Spirit leads you. And throughout the course of this week, come back to these questions. Maybe in your time with God, just journal them out, pray them out on paper. But the first question is, what are you, what are you mad about? 
certainly there's a lot to be mad about in our world. Many of us have not given voice. What are you mad about? You have not given yourself permission to be angry. And that stops today in the name of Jesus. What are you mad about? Just offer that in the silence of your own heart to the Lord. And I'll lead you through three other simple questions. second question is what are you sad about it's often sadness that's beneath our anger and right where you're at right now in the presence of God with the people of God just offer before the Lord what's causing you grief these days and just convert that into a prayer before the Lord question is what are you anxious about your health your finances a family situation what do you what's the anxiety that you've been carrying that you have not even been honest to yourself about let alone honest to God about what are you anxious about your life, the gifts, the things that we need to not take for granted, the gratitude that needs to fill our heart. What are you glad about today? Just offer that to the Lord and then we'll sing together. Jesus, Lord, we thank you that your love is better than life, and that because you love us with an everlasting love, we don't have to wear masks, that we can live an authentic life before you, before ourselves, before others. And so, Lord, little by little, would you teach us, would you free us, may we be everything you've called us to be. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, let's all stand, let's sing together. God, I look to you, I want your rest. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you.
exempt from the sadness and the anger and the fear of human existence and the faster we come to terms with this and surrender it to the Lord and integrate it into our lives uh, we're gonna have a hard time living without masks and yet Jesus calls us to put down our mask and you start by receiving the love of God it is only the love of God that can move us out of the pretense and the falsehood that often directs and shapes our lives. And so our prayer team is here, and one of the reasons we close with prayer is because to do this is hard work, and we need every resource of the Holy Spirit to penetrate our hearts, to, to confront the lies that we have believed about why we can't be sad, why we can't be angry, why we can't be afraid. Those lies need to be dispelled. And like David, offer all of who we are to the Lord. I want to encourage you this week in your time with prayer, look at how David writes his psalms and consider writing your own psalm before the Lord. Consider writing on a piece of paper whatever comes to your heart. And maybe it's all joy that day. Write that joy. Maybe it's all grief and sadness that day. Just write out that sadness before the Lord. Maybe it's anger and rage. Let the Lord hear it. Maybe it's great fear. Offer it to Him. Write your own psalm before the Lord. And as you do it, your heart gets softened. God begins to surprise you with hope and joy. He begins to deepen your life with Him. And then you're able to enter into the experiences of others with deeper love and deeper compassion and empathy that we can be the people who God has called us to be. And so whether you're receiving prayer, whether you're coming to the table, uh, please come forward. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. If you're watching online, you can write where you're at. Open your hands as well. And we close in this way because this is the posture of the Christian, receiving the love of God, trusting the love of God. The world, the, the posture of the world is clenched fists manipulating their way through life, holding on. But the follower of Jesus is open hands, trusting in the Father's love. And so with your hands and your hearts in the posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you. 
and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit being more fully human. And may you experience the power of God as you offer God your sadness, as you offer God your anger, as you offer God your fear. May God surprise you with his love and with his joy, which is better than life. And may you enter into the spaces of others who are experiencing difficult times. And may you pour out the love of Jesus to them. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said,